some of the complications she had with just returning to the university in order to get her stuff and to check out even. She had a very short window of time to do it. They gave her 15 minutes to get in and get out. Her plans in order to stay for an allotted time in her dorm were revoked from the university, even after she had filed one of the housing requests to stay longer. And that also caused a lot of issues for her because she had this plan in her head of what her strategy to get out of New York would be, and it was totally thrown up into the air. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Patrick Moquin gives a rundown on the final days of Fordham Sports. Then, Katrina Lambert explains the difficulties that students faced when trying to leave campus during the pandemic. Finally, Michelle Agaron talks about how clubs and student organizations are still operating remotely. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Joining me now is Pat Moquin, sports and health editor. Thanks for joining us. Nice to be here, Kevin. So how have you been holding up, Pat? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm on Long Island now, and uh, I'm no worse than anyone else, I suppose. It does strike me that this is probably going to be your final appearance on Retrospect. With you as host. With me as host, at least, yeah. Yes, um, uh, you've had an illustrious career. Uh, I still have two years left after this semester, but um, uh, thank you for your work on Retrospect thus far. Well, thanks, Pat. I've always loved having you on as a guest. Thank you. So you wrote the article Inside the Final Days of Fordham Sports. Uh, yes. Can you just give us a quick rundown of what the article was about? Uh, sure. So when all of um, us students learned that um, we wouldn't be attending classes anymore, we were taking online classes, and we had to move out as soon as possible, a lot of these athletes were told to stay stick around. They were told they would still be playing in front of crowds with no audiences, and they would be taking online classes from school. And then later that week, all of them found out in different ways that um, they would be um, that they would also be going home, that their seasons would be over, and that the eligibility they had been promised was not going to be delivered immediately to them. Can you tell me which teams were most affected by the cancellations? Teams that weren't affected as much would be the winter sports, uh, men's and women's basketball in particular. Men's and women's basketball men's were playing their Atlantic 10 tournament, and that tournament was suspended, and women's basketball were about to enter the um, WNIT, the Women's National Invitational Tournament. And they, they, that tournament was obviously canceled as well. So they had their season shortened. Uh, Brie Kavanaugh was quoted as saying that about 98% of their season was done. So it wasn't too bad. Again, they lost their postseason. Uh, spring sports are the ones that are really affected most. Um, baseball had started. I believe they had, been, they had been playing for three weeks. And softball, again, they were on their way to, I believe, their eighth. They were fighting. They were they were going to start the season um, for their eighth championship in nine years, and now this is going to be the second season. The other one being 2012, in which they didn't win a a um, championship in the Atlantic 10. So um, yeah, these these teams had their season shortened by months at a time, and that's other spring sports as well. So you've spoken to Bree Kavanaugh quite a lot over your time as part of the sports and health team. Uh, uh, she is by far my most frequent interview. Yes. Can you talk about how she was feeling? about the entire incident? I know that 98% of what they were going through was done already, but it's still kind of a bummer to not be able to finish. 
No, absolutely. And um, she, yeah, she described her, um, her feeling immediately afterwards as shattered. Um, just to not be able to play that postseason. They had just lost the VCU the previous weekend in the Atlantic 10 tournament. So their run there was over. And they were looking for redemption in a national tournament. They were going to be on national television. That's national, you know, that's just a lot of exposure that they could have gotten that they're no longer getting. And again, just a chance to redeem yourself in that way to end your season. To get that taken away, it's kind of ending things on a more sour note than it probably should have. Um, actually, when she was discussing her own season, she was actually quicker to sympathize with others. Like she was more upset speaking about the softball team than she was about the um, women's basketball team. The softball team, uh, they, were in, um, they were in the airport on their way to a tournament for a spring break when they found out that their season was over and they had to go back to Rose Hill. And again, um, I spoke to Maddie Algenbog as well. She's a senior softball player, and she, again, I only emailed her, but again, her responses were very clearly ones of upsetment, and perhaps even um, she was emphatic that think something be done to rectify the situation by the NCAA. And they were at the airport when they found out about the cancellations? Yes, they were on their way to Charleston, South Carolina for a softball tournament. So they literally found out the news just as they were about to board the plane? They had just gotten through security when they were told to come back. Do you know how the rest of the softball team is feeling about this? Again, it's mostly afflicting um, the seniors. Again, seniors are most are obvious before a decision by the NCAA that we can get into later. Um, at that point, it seemed as though the seniors have, had played their last game. It seemed as though every single varsity athlete that was in their senior year had their seasons cut by, by several months. Even, um, yeah, baseball and softball in particular that I spoke to. Um, so there were kids that thought they were going to be playing games for the next couple of months, and now it appeared as though they had played their last game of organized baseball and softball, and that's a very difficult thing to take on a 24-hour turnaround. You also spoke a little bit about how the baseball team is feeling in your article. Um, uh, yes, Jake McKenzie. He's um, a very talented junior on the baseball team. You also mentioned something about a lot of wasted potential, because I, I believe a Fordham student was recently drafted into the MLB, right? Yeah. Kyle Martin was recently drafted in MLB by the Orioles. And uh, this season, they had won the Atlantic 10 tournament that year as well. It was a very good year for the team and Martin. And now they are coming back again, obviously without Martin. But uh, McKenzie said that they had every intention of going back to win the Atlantic 10 tournament. And they had a large group of seniors to do so. And now they will not get that opportunity. And uh, again, this NCAA decision, which was to give every single athlete an extra year of eligibility, to give them that decision, there still may be kids that aren't returning. This was a year to do this when everyone was going to be around and everyone was going to be able to contribute. And now this season, it will never really be fully regained. So, Pat, it sounds like this is something that has sort of affected everybody, although it seems to have hit the spring teams much harder, especially the seniors who just don't get to play anymore. What do you think is the worst part about all of this is? Uh, I'd say the worst part of it is that it's a problem without a solution. Again, it's something that was out of everyone's control. And now they're trying to rectify it. Um, the decision was to give every single athlete an extra year of eligibility. But uh, for reasons I um, go through in my article, that's not really the best solution. Again, there's not really a way to fix a problem of this magnitude. And I think that's the most unfair part is the fact that there, there isn't really anything to do about it. Do you think there are some unintended or unknown consequences of the cancellations? I believe there are going to be some, again, it's a logistical nightmare. That's really the biggest issue. Giving every single kid an extra year of eligibility to make up for the cancellation of the spring season 
will lead to difficult things with roster spots. Um, again, a vis- you can visualize if there are seven seniors on the team that are going to be sticking around for an extra year, making room for freshmen on these rosters, incoming freshmen, is going to be a nightmare. Again, some teams are more fortunate. Uh, Fordham women's basketball, for instance, has no seniors on their team. So they weren't being afflicted in any way by this extra year of eligibility. Well, they weren't being too affected. They won't be affected for another two years at least. But again, a team like baseball who has seven, eight, nine seniors on the team, again, they're going to have a lot of issues with logistics and managing their roster and who's coming back and who's not. Again, there's going to be a lot of um, confusion and figuring things out going forward. Do you have any idea at all about what's next for Fordham Sports? Is there a way we can bounce back from this? Um, of course, there's a way we can bounce back from this. Um, I think a softball team that has won eight of nine eight ten championships in the past decade, that's an impressive achievement, and I don't think this is going to um, stunt them in any way. I think the baseball team, um, while they will be losing players, will obviously be getting some seniors back. Um, they still have a talented core of juniors. They have um, Jake McKenzie, John Stankowitz. They have a very talented group of incoming seniors. And um, there are other teams, too. Again, the women's basketball team and the men's – again, the women's basketball team in particular, um, they were going to the national tournament next this year without any seniors. They were going to – not the national tournament, but a national tournament. They were going to the NIT. And next season, a lot of these kids that were juniors are now going to be seniors. Brie Kavanaugh is going to be a senior in particular. She's the leader on the team. She's going to be stepping into that senior role. Uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to in Fordham sports, despite perhaps losing a season that would have been highly successful for a lot of teams. Can you speak briefly about how losing this season affects the Observer's sports coverage going into the summer and particularly next year once all of it starts starting up again? Of course, um, to speak uh, somewhat selfishly, um, I've had very little to write about in the past month month or so. Um, I'm, I've really enjoyed event coverage. Um, we've been working on that as a, as a paper to just grow our event coverage in sports, and now there are no events to cover. So we've had to go in more of a direction to where we, we're speaking about to these athletes about their experiences. We're, we're making much more um, features, um, feature-length articles where we're, uh, where we're highlighting stories rather than sing, single night events, like we're covering a person's experience over three weeks, as opposed to their performance in one particular game. So um, our coverage has had to change just along with everyone else's. Um, yeah, our coverage is definitely more geared towards telling a longer story. We're trying to figure this out. You know, we're trying to figure out how these teams are affected by this. Again, I just wrote an article about club sports, um, how sailing and men's lacrosse are affected by this. Again, club sports aren't considered, but again, they're just as equally important, um, you know, to the people playing them as they are to varsity sports. Again, there are a lot of different stories to tell in sports. I just have to change what I'm writing. We have sailing and lacrosse teams? You should read my article coming out um, probably tonight. Uh, I talked to uh, Eddie Harrison of the sailing team, and I speak to Matthew Ludington of the lacrosse team. And uh, it's interesting to talk about because club sports are obviously to have a connotation of being more lax. Uh, th- that's not a uh, lacrosse. That's just lax, the word. Um, it's, again, and again, some teams are like that. The men's lacrosse team doesn't have a coach and they don't have tryouts. So they're probably not as affected by the coronavirus outbreak as other, as other teams. But sailing, they compete against varsity teams as a club sport. Like they are of, they, are, they compete like a varsity team, but they're a club sport team. Again, they go to practices. Almost every day, they still make it back to class later in the day. Again, it's a very intense schedule. And again, to lose, and again, they aren't covered by the NCAA. Their organization had to make their own ruling 
where they give everyone extra year of eligibility. And even then, do you come back for a club sport? Do you go to a fifth year at Fordham for a club sport? It's a very interesting thing. And again, that's the kind of stories that we have to tell now because this is how, this is how we figure out the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, just for clarification for our listeners, this segment of this episode is being recorded uh, the Tuesday that this episode is being released. So that article uh, that you're talking about is probably already has been available for about four days. Yeah, logistical. I don't understand the scheduling aspect of this show. Sorry. No, it's no problem. Uh, so they can probably check that check out that article right now. Is absolutely what you're yeah. Cool. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts or anything, Pat? Again, I will say this: the coverage that I've been doing recently, I've enjoyed thoroughly. Um, I really enjoy speaking to athletes. I enjoy like forging those relationships. And again, I think this is a very good time to do it. I think as kids are figuring things out themselves, it's very good to speak to them and to tell their stories. And I've enjoyed doing that. Well, Pat, thank you so much for coming on. I've always loved having you on as a guest. You've always been super insightful and I've always loved bringing sports coverage to an audience that maybe it hasn't always been that familiar with it. So thank you for shining a light on things that people might not have considered before. Thank you for giving me the coverage, Kevin. Again, I've really enjoyed you as a host. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. You genuinely care about what we're doing and I think it's reaching people that it perhaps wouldn't. So um, yeah, thank you for an excellent couple of years here. And thanks so much, Pat. See you around. Joining me now is Katrina Lambert, assistant news editor. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Although, Katrina, you've actually been promoted, haven't you? Yeah, um, technically, um, by April 20th, I will be a news editor, no longer assistant, but for now, it's still assistant. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, first of all, how have you been dealing with all of this, Katrina? I feel fortunate that I have a home that I like to be in and a family that supports me. So I think I lucked out compared to a lot of other students, but um, you know, it's still, there's people like my sisters are both, uh, you know, they're living in their apartments and so they can't come to my house and things like that. And there's family members I would like to see and visit, but I can't. So it's definitely hard getting used to the idea that we have to stay away from people. Um, but I think overall, I feel very fortunate and I'm just trying to focus on how I can make it better for other people than anything I can. Tell me about what your article was about, because it sort of concerns the idea of people having to go home and staying home and being sort of forced into a situation that is less than ideal. Right. Um, so Fordham about, I guess it was close to four weeks ago now, it was early in March, um, as everything was happening um, and you know the, epi- uh, the pandemic was spreading, um, they decided to encourage students to move out of the residence halls. Um, and first there was an email, I think it was like around March 13th that said um, they just wanted students to think about going home if they had that available to them. If not, that they would have the opportunity to stay over spring break and then they would be able to come back after once we had that period of online classes. And then towards the end of that week, they said that all students had to go home um, no matter what. So it was then mandatory. And a lot of students who had basically said that they weren't going to go home for spring break or were under the impression that they still had a place to stay in the residence halls were revoked their authorization to stay. So um, that caused a lot of issues for students who were 
basically had their plans totally unraveling, who some of them still had the idea that spring break and their travel plans for spring break were still going to happen. Um, one student was planning a trip to Hawaii throughout all of this, and it ended up being that she still went to Hawaii, but while she was there, she heard that she wasn't able to come back to campus to get her stuff. Um, and I think that in that scenario, it sounds like maybe she should have not gone to Hawaii, but I think back to that time, and honestly, I was still thinking that my spring break, my ability to go to the gym, my ability to go to the grocery store weren't going to be affected either. So I think we were all sort of in that denial state, even, you know, people who are dealing with this, like authorities and administration. So yeah, basically, a lot of students had issues booking travel plans, um, booking actual places to stay because they weren't able to get back into their home country um, and doing all of this within a very short window of time because they had to be out of the university by March 20th. While it does sound like there's a lot of blame to throw around when it comes to this situation, I think the particular grievances that students have have to do with the sort of indecision that Fordham seemed to have when it came to deciding uh, what to do about this pandemic, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, many students, if they were able to say at the beginning of that week, you have to be out before spring break and we're not doing spring break, classes are gonna be online for the rest of the semester, um, or at least that you wouldn't be able to stay. I think that that would have helped a lot of students realize the uh, the weight of which this, epi this, I keep saying epidemic, but it's pandemic, the weight of which this pandemic um, was actually going to affect us. So it was that indecisiveness of the university to not only first say, we're encouraging you to go home, and then to say, you have to go home, um, but then also trying to, I guess, sugarcoat the scenario in some ways and make it seem like there was still an opportunity for them to stay if they needed to, when in reality, the students who were able to actually stay in the residence hall were very, very few, and they weren't really making many exceptions. And right now, no one is staying there, right? I believe, I don't have confirmation that there's nobody in the residence halls. I think some international students who they're, um, their home country was worse than the United States um, and they weren't going to be allowed back are able to stay in that hall in the residence halls but um, students who maybe are from Europe or South America um, those areas or were able to go home and I think that in general they wanted to keep the number of students extremely minimum that way they could uphold social distancing within the university. Can you give us some specific stories of students who had problems with this? One of the students who I was explaining had a trip to Hawaii planned for spring break. While she was in Hawaii, she got an email from the university saying that they had to all immediately return home. So she had no place to go when she was in New York because she's originally from Peru. So she was, for one, in contact with the Peru embassy because there was um, issues with allowing her back into the country since she was coming from New York. Um, and then in addition to that, she knew that she needed her stuff from her dorm because she only brought stuff that she would bring on a vacation to Hawaii. She didn't have stuff to actually live um, if she had to get an apartment in New York. 
when she came back to New York, she found that she was able to live with a family member in a, uh, you know, one bedroom apartment um, in New York. And that worked out well for her. But some of the complications she had with just returning to the university in order to get her stuff and to check out even, she had a very short window of time to do it. They gave her 15 minutes to get in and get out. And she had a friend with her that was supposed to help bring stuff. So she would have four hands rather than her own. Um, and he wasn't even allowed to come up into the residence hall with her. So she had to grab as much stuff as she can within 15 minutes by herself, making trips up and down the elevator. And she wasn't able to get all the things that she needed. So she had been able to talk with one of the uh, resident directors who was there, um, the RDs. And he was very understanding, but he couldn't actually give her longer than that um, to grab her things, but they managed, he filed a report for her that said that on this day, officially, she would be able to move out. So she was given a, a second day to come back to the university, otherwise it would have been that one 15 minute window. Um, her plans in order to stay for an allotted time in her dorm were revoked from the university, even after she had filed one of the housing requests to stay longer. Um, and that also caused a lot of issues for her because she had this plan in her head of what her strategy to get out of New York would be, and it was totally thrown up into the air. And another worry that she had was that if she was in this apartment with this other person, they're in a tiny little cramped apartment, that's not really great for social distancing either. Uh, so there was a lot of issues that I guess could have been solved if they just let her stay out her stay in the university and allowed her to take her trip home to Peru where she originally had planned to. The 15 minute thing sort of sounds, that, that stands out to me as something that is really notable. Why did the university only give her 15 minutes? My understanding from what um, Jennifer Campbell, the director of housing said, was that they wanted to keep the time window of which students were coming in and out as short as possible to allow multiple people within a day to do the same thing without coming in contact with each other. Um, I don't know how they decided 15 minutes was the enough time and I don't know how many people were moving out that day. So it seems like that's what they thought was gonna allow people to get in and get out. But um, the student, uh, Isabella uh, Piazza, she said that when she even was up there for 15 minutes after that time limit, she was escorted by a police officer, one of the security guards, um, out of the out of her own dorm. This does sound like the sort of thing that would definitely have like a mental or emotional toll on someone. Do you know how she's doing and how the other students who were in these circumstances are doing? Um, so far, from what I've checked back in with them, they've said that it's hard to become adjusted to what they're doing. Um, she was able to go back to Peru, so she's now there. Um, but just getting used to not only that crazy week of having to get all their stuff and move their lives elsewhere, um, but now doing classes throughout all of that and figuring out the time differences uh, that which they can go to classes in, um, how they're gonna do their work from where they're at, how their you know interactions with their family is going throughout all of this as well. I know from my personal experience, 
I love my parents, but you know, they always want to talk to me and do stuff with me and I'm trying to go to class. So it's very different balancing my home life with school life. So I think similar to, I'm sure how a lot of Fordham students are feeling at the moment with being coming adjusted to just this new normal. Um, I think you just kind of have to accept it and get through it until you're able to reflect on how everything is for yourself. Did the university have any comment when you asked them about these incidents? They said that this is what they felt was best to do for students to keep them out of, uh, you know, New York is a hot spot. And I think it is best that we are able to be out of there, uh, Fordham students who, you know, don't live in the state of New York. It's what they did in line with the governor's orders and with, um, you know, New York City as it was like evolving. Um, and I think that that is a fair response because obviously they didn't know the repercussions of which they were going to do. But as you said, it was sort of that indecisiveness as we were all learning about what this was and them trying to do what they thought was best um, that definitely messed up a lot of students um, in their plans to returning home. Katrina, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Joining me now is Michelle Agaron. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Michelle, congratulations on getting the position of assistant news editor at The Observer. Thank you. I'm very excited to take on this position. I've been wanting to do for a long time. So, yeah. So how have you been holding up during this quarantine? I've been doing okay. Um, For the most part, I've been trying to keep myself busy with Observer articles and just doing my daily poetry challenge that I've been trying to do. Um, But for the most part, doing okay, trying to hold myself up throughout these troubling times that everyone's going through. Speaking of keeping busy during everyone's self-isolation, clubs are still operating, even though campus is closed. They are. There are some clubs that are trying to host online Zoom meetings, and there are other clubs that have completely stopped having any meetings. So it's really, there's a range of um, different kind of strategies and techniques that clubs are um, starting to use. But for the most part, a lot of clubs are continuing to have online meetings. Can you talk more about what clubs are doing and sort of how they're dealing with the fact that everyone is separated from each other? Well, for one, the Kama magazine, the literary magazine on campus is continuing to um, ask for submissions. I think they've stopped at this point, um, but they were asking for submissions and they're still going to have a publication that's going to be posted online. Um, So that's going to be online pretty soon once we figure everything out. Um, But we want to put something together for people that may be struggling and want something to kind of escape into. It's going to have an extended edition online. So everyone's going to be able to read as much as they want. And it's not going to be as short as, you know, the the regular editions that we have, which are much shorter. Um, But yeah, we just wanted to get something to people that are, that is something we want to get something for people that is going to allow them to forget about what's happening, at least for a little bit. Can you talk more about how that process works remotely? So for the column magazine, it was quite important to have in-person meetings just because at the time that everything started happening, we were going to meet up and discuss submissions. And a lot of that is in-person. That requires in-person meetings because we want to talk about it and 
happens to be more of a collaborative project than it is, you know, remote. So we started actually doing Zoom meetings pretty much every week where we discuss submissions, whether they're art submissions, writing submissions, and seeing what we think of them. Some of them were contested, some of them were not, and we had to discuss those. But for the most part, we settled on everything now and we figured out what we want to do with the publication. So. And other clubs have been doing the same thing, right? Stoves has also been sort of conducting their routines online. Yes, yeah, Stoves had um, an event, actually, a live event, which was really interesting. Um, there was also CAB, which is Campus Activities Board, is doing a talent show. They're doing a TikTok talent show, I believe, which is really interesting. The Humanitarian Student Union is doing another thing where they're having a letter, letter writing campaign remotely um, for refugees and um, women who are asylum seekers. Um, and they're trying to continue their social justice message and um, make sure that people are staying involved in their message and their values. Um, so yeah, everybody is really trying to stay as involved as possible. AAPI, um, which is the Asian American Pacific Islander Committee that goes through OMA, Office of Multicultural Affairs, um, is basically doing events every single day of the month. They have another TikTok talent show, I believe, and some cooking with, I think there's Bea, Bea Mendoza, she's doing a cooking uh, thing, I think next week or this week. So there's so many events going on around the campus and they're all online at this point. A lot of the USG events also ended up taking place online. I believe the Undies, the Undergraduate Appreciation Awards also took place online. The recent presidential debate for USG also took place online. It seems like there are still a lot of avenues in place for students who want to participate in sort of the campus culture, even if campus sort of is in the ether at the moment. For sure. I think that despite us all being in different countries at this point, different states, we're able to kind of connect and do this over the internet. And that's probably because the internet is so well developed at this point. Um, we have Zoom, which a lot of us use for our classes, but also for meetings. And we have online forms. So for the talent show, we submit our uh, talents or videos of our talents, whatever it is. So there's so many different avenues that you can go through at this point. I think a lot of students right now are sort of feeling a little listless, maybe feeling like they're separated from their friends, the year that they were supposed to have with each other. What do you recommend that they do in order to feel like they can be connected to that again? I think that the first thing I want to say is you don't have to do anything right now. Everyone's on this productivity grind, especially on social media. Everyone's talking about kind of using this to write the next King, King Lear. Um, which, you know, Shakespeare during quarantine, he wrote King Lear, whatever it is that people are saying. Um, it's basically become a productivity contest. And I think it's important to know that this is not a productivity contest. This is a pandemic and there are different rules and regulations to this. Um, if you want to lay in bed and do nothing all day, you are completely justified in doing that because people are feeling extreme emotions right now. But it is important to kind of take care of yourself whichever way you can. So if you found yourself on campus constantly being involved with things and you love that, you love campus culture, try to get back into it in, just in small ways. So if you want to join a Zoom meeting one week, if you want to join the yoga mindfulness um, club and maybe do something with them one week, just try to kind of insert yourself into campus culture a little bit more every week and I think you'll be back to the way you were on campus. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, I just want to say the clubs and organizations are doing a great job trying to keep up, especially because these are all run by students. The advisors might be professors or, you know, staff, but for the most part, the students are still taking a lead and trying to make sure that everyone of their members is trying to stay involved and they're being supported right now through this. So I really appreciate the work that everyone's doing and I hope that they continue to do it. Thank you so much for coming on, Michelle. Thank you for having me.
This has been Retrospect. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. See you next time.